Imagine being in the wilderness at night, in the middle of winter. It is dark and cold, and the wind is gusting past your face, sending a chill through your whole body. A terrifying racket of noise crashes across the night sky. Demonic howls hang on the wind and blast through the dark forest. Deep thunder rumbles across the moorland, and lightning streaks across the bruised purple sky. You cower and hide in fear, as you should if you are smart. You may even whisper a quiet prayer, because it is time for the passing of the dreaded wild hunt. Welcome to Freaky Folklore, the podcast where we discover the horrifying legends across the world and tell terrifying tales of monsters both ancient and modern. Today we are discussing the Wild Hunt, an omen of catastrophe that could bring death to those unlucky enough to witness it. This show is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network. Find more terrifying tales at EerieCast.com and be sure to follow us on Spotify or your favorite podcasting service. You can leave an honest review on iTunes, too. The more we get, the more we grow, and hopefully, the more monsters we can explore. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R- M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook for information on future episodes. The office was no more than 100 square feet, not much larger than the average bathroom. Today it felt like the walls were closing in on Jonah. After this morning's meeting, He had come back to this small windowless room with a pounding headache and laid his head on his hands. He only meant to rest for a moment, but he fell asleep. It was a loud clap of thunder, followed by screams that had awoken him, or at least he had thought. He went out into the hall to see what was going on and found the receptionist staring at her computer. He could see the rain pouring through the window behind her desk. Man, it's coming down out there. He commented nonchalantly. What was all the screaming about? She continued to stare at her computer until he asked about the screaming. Then she looked up at him with an arched brow. I didn't hear any screaming, she replied. What is on your forehead? She asked. Jonah raised his hand to his head and rubbed the rough spot where his wedding band had left an indentation while he was sleeping. Oh, he shrugged. I accidentally dozed off. Embarrassed, he said no more and turned and headed back to his office. He needed a vacation, the kind where you were out in the middle of nowhere, by a lake or on a beach. He had been with the firm for four years, and they allowed for two weeks of vacation. He always saved one week for Christmas, 
and the other to take his wife somewhere nice. She always wanted to drag their friends along. It wasn't like he was antisocial, but it always seemed more like work than relaxing. This morning's meeting had left him on edge. The board wanted to shut down one of the lower-income buildings they had purchased, to remodel and rent it out as offices. Dozens of families would be without homes, and they would be informed of their eviction just a couple of weeks before Christmas. He didn't know why he let these things bother him so bad. It was just business. But he did, and right now, all he wanted to do was get far away from this place. He had sat back down at his desk when he noticed he had received an email from his boss. It was as if Odin himself had decided to reward him. He almost felt guilty for being excited, but only for a second or so. The email informed him that he would be leaving on December 18th to look over some real estate that the company had purchased in Kiev. The Ukraine market was hot with the looming threat of attack from Russia. He could fly over, take a day to inspect the place and make a report, then drag it out for a couple of more days and relax. His wife wouldn't be pleased when he told her he was going alone, but it would be worth it, and she would get over it. He would be leaving Berlin in two days, and he couldn't wait. Kiev this time of year was cold, so he wouldn't be laying on a sandy beach. But there were plenty of parks and museums that he could enjoy all on his own. Two days flew by. Just knowing a break was coming made the days easier. Kiev looked like a winter snow globe, with huge snowflakes just beginning to fall when Jonah arrived at his hotel. The Intercontinental Hotel looked like a palace, and his room had a wonderful view. He was excited to explore, but that would have to wait. For now, he would order a hot meal and enjoy the wintry view from his room. The next day, he inspected the office building that his company was interested in purchasing. It was in foreclosure, but his job was to make sure it was solid and potentially profitable. The place was large and still inhabited by many small businesses. He took pictures of the ones that were vacated and kept notes on his iPad. The whole process took him longer than expected, and night had fallen by the time he was done. Deciding to walk back to the hotel, Jonah wrapped his coat and scarf tightly around him before leaving. He wasn't sure how long it had been snowing, but it was coming down so hard he could barely make out the buildings surrounding him. Keeping his eyes on the sidewalk in front of him, he used the streetlights to guide his way. He didn't notice when his surroundings changed until the sidewalk ran out and the path turned to dirt. He looked around trying to locate the sidewalk and that is when he realized that the buildings had been replaced with snow-covered trees. It looked like he was in the middle of a forest and he had no idea how he had gotten there or how to get out. He turned to retrace his footsteps but there were no footprints in the snow. He thought it was very odd considering he had just walked across it. He decided he would just have to keep walking back in that direction. Surely he would eventually find the sidewalk or a street or something. 
As he walked, the snow lightened enough for him to see the forest around him more clearly. There were tall, dark pines everywhere. It felt as if he had stepped right into another world. A gust of wind blew his scarf back, and he reached for it. But when he did, the other side came loose and caught in the wind. It was lifted into the air and began to dance around with the snowflakes. He chased it as it drifted away, evading his every attempt to grab it. Until finally the wind just suddenly stopped and it fell to the ground. Exasperated, he reached down to pick it up, but was startled by a loud clap of thunder, followed by the beating of hooves. He stood in attention and looked around in every direction. It sounded like horses, but how could that be? He was in the middle of the city, or at least he had been. The sound was growing closer, and he began to make out howls and barking, joining the beating of the hooves. It reminded him of a fox hunt he had been on once with his father and uncles when he was young. He felt like he needed to dive for cover before he was trampled, but he couldn't see which direction the sound was coming from. It seemed to be all around him. Finally deciding that he would be safer behind a tree or something large, he turned to run towards the forest. But when he did, a light so bright that it temporarily blinded him hit him. He shielded his eyes and squinted until he could just make out the horrific sight that was approaching him. He ducked behind the closest tree and tried to be invisible as he watched the horror that was approaching. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Throughout Europe, a belief existed in folklore that a group of spectral riders went forth at night on a hunt. The wild hunt was an omen of catastrophe and could bring death to those unlucky enough to witness it. The myth shows a connection with stormy weather, the howling of wind, and darkness. It's for a reason that it circulated in the north where the nights in winter are particularly long. Reports about the sightings of the wild hunt were most common during the darkest time of the year. Traditionally, the wild hunt is a procession of spectral huntsmen 
that streak across the sky, their ghostly steeds, hounds, and birds traveling with them. The hunting party can vary. However, some tales claim that the group is made of fairies, others elves, though most settle on the idea of demons and devilish beings. You wouldn't want to be outside when the ghostly procession of the wild hunt surges past. You may be sucked into their dark frenzy, with or without your body along for the ride. The wild hunt was typically led by recognizable figures. While Odin, the wise king of the Norse gods, is most commonly named as its head, different variations of the hunt name many gods, heroes, and even historical figures as leaders of the hunt. Although typically associated with Germany and Scandinavia, the wild hunt was believed to ride throughout most of Europe. Each country, and often each town, had its own version of what the hunt was and how to survive it. There is a connection between the wild hunt and Christmas that you may not know about, or Yuletime as some may know it. This connection comes through German folklore relating to the legend. While the Companions of St. Nicholas are still rather popular in many countries and populations, the traditions that predate Christmas, that were arguably the predecessors of Christmas, have mostly faded from memory, only being invoked in fiction and in small, neo-pagan groups. This is referring to the celebration of Yule, a festival that goes way back to the Germanic peoples of Europe, before Christianity was even a fledgling religion. Yule, also known as Yuletide, was a 12-day festival that corresponded with the winter solstice, also known as Midwinter Night. Yule and Yuletide are still used in classic songs to refer to Christmas, but seldom outside of that context. The celebration of Yule involved days of feasting, drinking, fornication, and animal sacrifice. To the Germanic peoples, the period of Yule was a direct worship of their gods. The gods themselves were often referred to as Yule beings, and Odin, father of the Norse gods, had a name that translates to Yule Father. It is clear that this celebration of Yule was one of the most direct and important celebrations of the gods throughout the entire year. The true horror comes with these gods, with Odin in particular, as Yule was a time most often associated with the wild hunt. According to a version of the story from Lower Saxony, there was a wealthy prince passionately devoted to hunting. The lives of any of his subjects who interfered with his sport were forfeited. When a boy cut a piece from a willow to make himself a whistle, he was cruelly executed. When the prince finally died, his soul could not rest, but was condemned to hunt through the woods forever. On a stormy night, the peasants still hear the crack of his whip the baying of the pack of hounds, and the hoofbeats of his ghostly steed as he crashes through the forest. The first comprehensive description of the myth of the wild hunt was given by Jacob Grimm in his Deutsche Mythology, an encyclopedia-type treatise that translates to Germanic mythology, published in 1835. He drew on records of German folklore and made both the story and the term the wild hunt widely known. His account captured the imagination of many, 
The myth of the wild hunt is known from several medieval sources. The earliest description surviving from Britain appears in the Peterborough Chronicle in 1127. The Chronicle was maintained at the Abbey in Peterborough until the 12th century. It reports that following the appointment of a wicked abbot, there were repeated sightings of demonic hunters near the Abbey. Then soon afterwards, many people saw and heard many hunters hunting. The hunters were big and black and loathsome and their hounds all black and wide-eyed and loathsome. They rode on black horses and black goats. This was seen in the very deer park in the town of Peterborough, and in all the woods that there were, between this town and Stamford. And the monks heard the horns blow, that they were blowing at night. There were many local versions of the myth. In Cornwall, for example, the term for the wild hunt was Dondo's Dogs. It was believed to be due to the devil carrying off a wicked priest named Dondo, who went hunting on Sundays. Since then, he and his dogs were seen or heard galloping across the moors on stormy nights. The legend of the wished hounds of Dartmoor tells of a dark huntsman who hunts at night, and only when a storm is raging on the moor. His steed and hounds are black, and their eyes glow like balls of fire, and are big as saucers. In northern counties of England, stories were told about Gabriel hounds. And in Cleveland, the explanation given was that a gentleman of the olden times was so strangely fond of hunting that on his deathbed, he ordered his hounds all to be killed and buried at the same time and in the same tomb as himself. The story goes on to tell that he and they still hunt as ghosts. Similarly, a nonconformist minister, Oliver Haywood, writing of his local area near Halifax, recorded that in the winter of 1664 and 65, many heard a strange noise in the air. It was as if a great number of whelps were barking and howling. The country people therefore called it Gabriel Ratchets, and ratchet is an old word for a type of hound. Locals also believed the noise caused the deaths of those who heard it, and warned of famine and plague to come. This story was well known in Britain by 1807, when William Wordsworth published his miscellaneous sonnet 29. It contained the following lines. For overhead are sweeping Gabriel's hounds, doomed with their impious lord the flying heart, to chase forever on aerial grounds. One of several versions of the Wild Hunt story in Celtic folklore is the legend of Gwyn Ap Nudd. He is a ruler of the other world in Welsh mythology, but he also appears in folklore as the leader of the Wild Hunt. Gwyn Ap Nudd rides on a demonic horse and hunts in waste places at night with a pack of white-bodied and red-eared dogs of hell. He is believed to hunt for human souls. To hear the baying of his hounds is a sign of imminent death in the family. Some versions of the Wild Hunt story tell that occasionally a dog gets separated from the pack and walks into someone's house. The dog is invariably black and behaves strangely. It does not recognize people and sulks as if pining for its companions. Stories repeatedly say that it refuses to eat any food apart from ash and lies next to a hearth all day, occasionally licking ash. It waits for the Wild Hunt to reappear 
Eventually, it vanishes suddenly, eagerly running away when it senses the wild hunt passing above the house, again. In Scandinavia, the leader of the hunt was Odin, and the event was referred to as Odin's Hunt. Odin's hunt was heard but rarely seen, and a typical trait is that one of Odin's dogs was barking louder, and a second one fainter. Besides one or two shots, these barks were the only sounds that were clearly identified. When Odin's hunt was heard, it meant changing weather in many regions, but it could also mean war and unrest. According to some reports, the forest turned silent, and only a whining sound and dog barks could be heard. In western Sweden, and sometimes in the east as well, it has been said that Odin was a nobleman, or even a king who had hunted on Sundays, and therefore was doomed to hunt down and kill supernatural beings, until the end of time. According to certain accounts, Odin does not ride, but travels in a wheeled vehicle, specifically a one-wheeled cart. In parts of Smallland, it appears that people believe that Odin hunted with large birds when the dogs got tired. When it was needed, he could transform a bevy of sparrows into an armed host. If houses were built on roads that he had previously traveled, they could be burnt down, because Odin did not change his plans if he had formerly traveled on a road there. Not even charcoal kilns could be built on disused roads, because if Odin was hunting, the kiln would be ablaze. One tradition maintains that Odin did not travel further up than an ox wears his yoke. So if Odin was hunting, it was safest to throw oneself onto the ground in order to avoid being hit, an origin story that evolved as an explanation for the popular belief that persons lying at ground level are safer from lightning strikes than are persons who are standing. In Algot Smallland, it was safest to carry a piece of bread and a piece of steel when going to church and back during Yule. The reason was that if one met the rider with the broad-brimmed hat, one should throw the piece of steel in front of oneself. But if one met his dogs first, one should throw the pieces of bread instead. The man with the broad-brimmed hat was the leader of the wild hunt. The role of Wotan's wild hunt during the Yuletide period has been theorized to have influenced the development of the Dutch Christmas figure Sinterklaas, and by extension his American counterpart, Santa Claus, in a variety of characteristics. These include his long white beard and his gray horse for nightly rides. In Scotland, the wild hunt is closely linked to the fairy world, in some sources. The noble fairy court, the Slough, or Unseelie Court, was claimed to have expelled evil fairies or fae. People in Scotland, even up until the 20th century, closed windows and doors on the west side of their homes when they had a sick person inside because of the legend that the slough flew in from the west to collect dying souls. The term wild hunt was popularized by Jacob Grimm, who studied the folklore of Germany and related cultures. Grimm identified the wild hunt strictly with Germanic traditions. He believed it was a remnant of earlier pagan traditions that had survived in superstition and folklore. Grimm, however, viewed folklore through a nationalistic lens. He promoted the beliefs of early Germanic culture as part of his own cultural identity. 
He therefore missed or chose to ignore the fact that the wild hunt was attested in many non-Germanic parts of Europe. It was known from Galatia to Slavic countries in the East. Jacob Grimm was probably not entirely wrong in identifying the wild hunt with Germanic traditions, but he failed to explain how the phenomenon became so widespread. A possible explanation lies in both the figures associated with the wild hunt and the era in which it became well known. The wild hunt mythology and legend has made marks all throughout popular culture, showing up in music, comics, films, television, and literature. The subject of Stan Jones' American country song, Ghost Riders in the Sky of 1948, which tells of cowboys chasing the devil's cattle through the night sky, resembles the European myth. Swedish folk music, The Tallest Man on Earth, released an album in 2010 entitled The Wild Hunt, and in 2013, the black metal band Watain, also Swedish, released an album with the same title. The Wild Hunt appears in Marvel Comics, primarily the Thor series, and is led by Malekith, the Accursed, the Dark Elf King, and one of Thor's archenemies. In J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit, while traveling through Mirkwood, the dwarves and Bilbo encounter a deer running through the forest, which knocks Bomber into the Enchanted River. After they pull him out, they hear far off the sound of a great hunt and the baying of dogs going past them. In the Will of Time series, there are stories to frighten children saying that dark hounds run in the night, with the Dark One himself as the hunter. The Wild Hunt features in the Witcher series of fantasy novels, and more recently the Netflix series brought the Wild Hunt to life on screen during the end of the second season. In the Elder Scrolls series of role-playing video games, the Wild Hunt is a ritual performed by the Bosmer for war, vengeance, or other times of desperation. The elves are transformed into a horde of horrific creatures that kill all in their path. Imagine, it's a midwinter evening in the 10th century. Candles and the fire burning in the hearth are the only sources of lighting, since there's no electricity or other means of producing light. People must rely on food reserves they have set aside and hope they have enough to last them through till spring because food is in short supply. The surrounding area is frozen and blanketed in snow. The birds have stopped singing. The wind is howling through the bare trees and there is suddenly a sound like the rumbling of thunder. It is time for the wild hunt. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Jonah could see multiple horses with riders emerging from the forest. They each wore different types of garments, but he could tell that they were warriors. At the head of the group leading them, sitting on a large white horse, was a tall old man 
with flowing red hair and a beard. He appeared to have a patch over one eye. He looked so pale that he could have been a corpse. At his side, this ghostly figure of a man carried a spear. At first, Jonah thought he had run into some sort of holiday parade, but then he saw the hounds. There were several of them mingled in with the riders and their horses that he could make out. But the two flanking the leader were large and black with glowing red eyes. He could hear them snarling and growling as the others barked and howled. Fear began to take root in Jonah's gut. He knew that what was bearing down on him was danger. He could feel it to his core. One of the large hounds spotted him hiding behind the tree, and it ran ahead of the group, charging towards Jonah. Jonah's reaction was to take flight. He turned and ran, not even choosing a direction, because he still had no idea where he was at. Instead, he took the clearest path away from the approaching beast. He was out in the open, in a dead run, with this giant slavering monster right on his heels. He began to see lights in the distance through the falling snow. Relief flooded through him, but he was not safe yet. He began to run harder than ever, no doubt in his mind that he was running for his life. Through an opening in the trees, he could see the large buildings of the city, as if a portal had opened up between two worlds. He was almost there, but just as he reached the opening, the breath was knocked out of him by a heavy blow to the middle of his back that brought him down flat on his face. He was gasping for air and choking on snow at the same time when his body was flipped over, placing him on his back. He was surrounded now by horses, riders, and hounds, all staring down at him. A rider wearing what looked like a Viking's helmet rode up to him, leading a horse with an empty saddle on its back. The leader, whose eyes seemed to have a red glow that matched his hair, looked down at Jonah and pointed at the horse and said one word, Ride. It was an order, but Jonah began to crawl backwards. He knew, though he didn't know how, that if he got on that horse, it would be his doom. The hound that had brought him to the ground lurched forward and grabbed Jonah by the neck, his teeth just barely piercing the skin and warning. He was pinned to the ground in a literal death grip. The leader moved his mount closer and pointed his spear at Jonah, the sharp tip just inches from his face, and said again in a loud, angry voice, Ride! The hound released Jonah and waited closely for his next move. Jonah slowly stood and approached the horse. He grabbed the saddle horn and placed his foot in the stirrup, then swung himself up onto the horse's back. As he grabbed the reins, his mind began to spin, as it was flooded with memories of other lives from the past and intertwined with the present. And like water swirling down a drain, his memories began to slip away. 
The leader turned his steed towards the forest, and the other riders and hounds followed obediently. Jonah disappeared in their midst as he rode off into the night with his fellow warriors. In the early morning hours of February 24, 2022, the Ukrainian border guards, local territorial troops, and fighter pilots fought hard in the first hours of the Russian assault. Russia had declared war on Ukraine. Meanwhile, in Kiev, several children are enjoying a snowball fight in the park when one awkward, freckled-faced boy trips over something buried in the snow. He dusts himself off and stands, searching to see what had caused his fall. He gasped when he saw a hand frozen to the ground. He yells for his friends to come help, but only one is brave enough. Together they clear the snow from the rigid corpse. Removing the snow revealed a horrific sight. It was a man in a business suit, his face held in a frozen look of horror. Thank you for listening to Freaky Folklore, the podcast about mankind's horrifying legends and myths. Don't forget to follow Freaky Folklore on Spotify and iTunes. If you can, leave the show an honest review on iTunes to help us grow. Freaky Folklore is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network, the home for listeners who love to feel scared. Go to EerieCast.com to find other terrifying podcasts such as Destination Terror and Redwood Bureau. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook for information on future episodes. Tune in next week as we discuss the Yule Cat, a huge and vicious cat who lurks about the snowy countryside during Christmas time. Until next time, stay safe out there, because this world is a strange one. <laughs>